Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Nat Chang Rinpoche, Chapter 30, Part 2. Rinpoche said, Yeah, good. Maybe schoolwork is not so bad, but find a place where there are people who have interest in Dharma. Then you can help them. If they are not Tom yours, they will see that you have something to say. I shall do as you say, Rinpoche. Oh, yeah. So, Rinpoche looked round the room. I have some things to give you. Rinpoche called for the lady of the house and she opened up the cupboard on the wall behind me. She and Rinpoche engaged in some elaborate discussion of where something was. I picked up smatterings of what might have been the gist of it, but was none the wiser for the little Tibetan I knew. There was a deal of foraging around going on behind my back, and finally something was forthcoming. She presented it to Rinpoche, who untied the string closure and opened the newspaper wrappings. It was a shawl, a Gurkha Changlo shawl, made of bure. Two red panels and a white panel in the middle. The red panels had fine white and blue stripes at the edges, and the white panels had red and blue stripes at the edges. I'd seen these shawls before, and they'd always intrigued me in a way that I can't describe. They're rife with symbolism but it's not of the usual kind. There are no motifs or formal Vajrayana symbols, but there's a meaning simply in the colours. They've never been easy to find in India or Nepal because very few are made. In Bhutan, they are only worn by the heads of villages, and how they came to be worn by the Gurkha Changlo Day in Tibet remains a mystery that I have never fathomed. Naturally, I'd always wanted one, but I'd had to content myself with a red shawl, as these were easily obtained. This is from Bhutan, Rinpoche explained. I always buy a shawl like this when I go to Bhutan. We must wear this. We are yogis of Guru Rinpoche's white lineage. I was excessively appreciative, gratified, grateful, Delighted and elated. Rinpoche waved his hand as if to say, Calm down, it's just a goddamn shawl. This means more to me than I can say, anyway, Rinpoche. Yeah, good. But this is for you to wear, not to put on the shrine. When you wear it for a long time, it becomes soft. Now it is hard and tough. It goes the opposite way to you, Rinpoche laughed. First, when you came here, you seemed soft and weak, but now you are strong. Now you have a clear mind. Then Rinpoche opened up another wrapped object. It was an ivory purva. This you must wear in your belt. This is worn by those who practice Dorje purva and Dorje truro. This is our practice, so we wear this as a sign. You place it within the knot of your shantabsash. 
Rimshay grinned. Yeah, it is easier if your sash is made of bure. He added, watching me struggle, this material is too stiff. Where did you get this sash? I made it, Rimshe. It's cotton drill fabric. May ya, may be good for now, but you should get one made of bure, like this shawl. Then it always fits well. I thanked Rimshe for his advice, which was as complete as ever. Ya, so, Rimshe commenced. Paltrel again. Paltrel was staying at a gompa once. I do not know which gompa, but that does not matter. Paltrel was staying in the visiting lama's rooms. Rimshe laughed. Like you in Kyabje Dujum Rimshe's room at the Nyingma gompa. The rooms were at the top of the gompa, and Paltrel had been loath to ensconce himself in them. The abbot had insisted, and so Paltrel had acquiesced. He had no interest in forcing his wishes on others. One night, as it happens, strange noises were heard to issue from his room. Creeping closer, one of the attendant monks became aware that Paltrel was talking either to himself or someone else. But it couldn't be someone else because no one had passed through Paltrel's door and there was no other means of access. The attendant's curiosity overcame him and he crept yet closer to Paltrel's door in order to make out what was being said. When he had gotten close enough, he heard the most extraordinary speech. Yes, 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 go on, you can make it. Just a bit further now and you will be there. Yes, now you're there and it's within your reach. Grab it quickly, be swift now. Yes, now you have it, now you have it. Quickly now, make your escape. Good, 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 run away, run away, run away. The attendant was perplexed. There was no sense in the words he'd overheard. He wondered if he should mention it to the abbot, but decided that that was not a good idea, as he'd have to admit eavesdropping outside Paltrel's door. The next morning, a theft was discovered, and then a general clamour ensued. The gold Gyaltsen victory banner had been stolen from the roof of the Gompa. The abbot decided that it would be best to inform Paltrel as soon as possible, in case the great lama could give some indication as to the identity of the thief and what direction he had taken. Rinpoche, the, the abbot exclaimed as he entered Paltrel's apartment, the golden Gautzen was stolen from the roof of Agompa last night. Yes, Paltrel exclaimed, punching his right fist into the palm of his left hand. He wanted it so much. Rinpoche could hardly contain his laughter toward the end of the story, and when he'd concluded, we were both rocking back and forth. I had tears of mirth streaming down my cheeks, and it was a while before we could have any kind of exchange on the story. Rinpoche sat at his ease, and it seemed that it would have been fine with him 
if I'd said nothing about this story. We'd both laughed and that made sense of itself. Paltrow's behaviour was by no means alien to me and I was delighted by the way his attitude illuminated the sense I'd made of Vajrayana. Rinpoche, I began, I really enjoy what this story communicates about the nature of desire. It seems to me that when desire is perfect, it becomes compassion. Paltrow wants the thief to have what he wants, precisely because he empathises with his desire. He doesn't look down on the thief from a position of indifference to desire. He joins with the thief in his desire and desires as much as the thief. Rinpoche nodded. Oh, yeah. You can say more? Certainly, Rinpoche. This is a subject to which I've given a lot of attention. It seems to me that compassion is not really possible unless you can desire, because if you can't desire, you can't have much appreciation of what arises in the sense fields. If you can't appreciate what arises in the sense fields, you can have no communication with phenomena and therefore no capacity for compassion. In Sutrayana, we're taught not to grasp, but that's because we delude ourselves with the idea that phenomena can cause happiness. With Vajrayana, however, there is the understanding of emptiness, that phenomena are empty of the causes of happiness or misery. Rinpoche nodded and grinned. Oh, yeah. And more? Well, various stories of Drukpa Kunli come to mind. In several stories, he's given jewellery, and the first thing he does is to bedeck himself with it. He dances round for a while and then gives it back, saying that he doesn't need it. He was able to thoroughly enjoy the jewellery without owning it. I have the feeling that owning or not owning has nothing to do with it. It's whether there's appreciation on the one hand or merely the desire to possess on the other. When you know that happiness arises from appreciation rather than possession, you can either have or not have, it doesn't matter which. And as for Paltrow, he appreciates what the thief appreciates and enjoys the thief's possession of what he desired. And more? Yes, Rimshe, there is more. I'd say that Paltrow established a connection with the thief through mutual desire, even though Paltrow had no desire for the golden Geltsen itself. Paltrow's desire was simply a resonance with the thief's desire. I would think that this connection probably established a positive cause for the thief in terms of his eventually giving up on thievery. Oh, yeah. Now you teach Dharma to Kunzangdorje, he laughed. Yeah, very good, very good. This was somewhat embarrassing, and I had no idea what he meant. Rinpoche could see that I was a little uncomfortable, 
And so he commented, Yeah, this is good. I like to hear how you see. This is very clear. You have good understanding of Vajrayana. It is often very hard for people to understand these things. There's an intriguing thing here, Rinpoche, I said, continuing the theme of desire. I'm remembering the story of the silver horse's hoof and how Poutrell played with the thief's desire in that case. That was quite different, and it is interesting that Poutrell's responses can be so different. Oh, yeah. So, what do you think? What is the difference? I'd say that it was more to do with the mind of the thief. Gyalpo, the first thief, may well have had less desire. Oh, yeah. And you can say more. Well, Rinpoche, it seems that you have to have great courage to climb onto a gompa roof. It takes far more courage to do that than to waylay an elderly llama out in the wilds. It seems to me that the desire of the second thief would have to be far greater to take the risk of scaling the gompa wall and climbing the slope of the roof to get that gyaltsen. Oh, yeah, good. You are right. But is there more? Well, in this case, Paltrell could not speak with the thief, and so there was no opportunity to show him anything about his mind. Rinpoche nodded. And more? Maybe more is coming? Well, Rinpoche, the only other thing I have to say is that the story doesn't include any discussion with the abbot. The story stops with Paltrell's initial statement, so we never know whether Paltrell is asked about the identity or whereabouts of the thief. That could change the story completely. And this would be a better story? No, Rinpoche, I laughed. I prefer the story to end where it ends because of the point it makes with respect to appreciation, desire and compassion. Oh yeah, I am happy. Rinpoche poured out the remainder of the eagle beer. Yeah, and so, there is no need for more stories now. But I will tell you one more because it is important. There is nothing to ask when it is finished and nothing for you to say. You will understand that when I have finished. One night, Tsar Paltrell was lying up in the grassy crags above Zogchengompa, not far from the little black hermitage. He was easy and relaxed, practising Namkasumtruk, staring into the night, as was his wont. Nyoshul was lying there with him, not too far removed, and after what seemed like several years, Tsar Paltrell addressed him. Hey, Nyoshul, my lad, didn't you once tell me that you hadn't recognised the nature of mind? That's right, Nyoshul replied, I'm a dolt, that's for sure and for certain.
No need to be hard on yourself, my lad, Zarpaltrel smiled. But there's nothing much between you and recognising that. A moment of silence followed, after which Zarpaltrel said in a long, languid voice, Do you see the stars? Yes, I see them, Nyoshal replied. Another moment of silence. Do you hear the dogs barking down around Zogtrengompa? Yes, I do believe I hear them. The barking was far off and only discernible in the still night air. Then suddenly, Zarpaltrel snapped his fingers. That, he said, and then almost in a whisper, is the nature of mind. After that, Nyoshal knew the nature of mind. Rinpoche raised himself from his couch, stood up and beckoned me to follow him outside. On our way out, he motioned to Pemadorje to remain seated, and I wondered what he had in store for me. We left the house and stood just outside. I needed no prompt to look at the stars, as it's my natural inclination. Rinpoche noticed. He smiled as he raised his hand and pointed at the stars with an elegant gesture that betokened that he was welcoming me to what I saw. We stared at the stars together for some moments and then Rinpoche put his hand to his ear. Right on cue a dog barked and we stood there for five or ten minutes longer. Then, somewhat seamlessly, we returned to Rinpoche's room. I had no idea how that had happened, and it may simply have been that we both turned to the door at the same time. We returned to Rinpoche's room, where Rinpoche dismissed Pemadorje. We sat in silence.